This is Darrell Alia, and you're listening to the Before the Man's Podcast, episode 67. Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions Podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before for the Millions Podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions Podcast. Hey, this is Mark Asquith, the host of the 7 Minute Mentor Podcast, global entrepreneur and all-round geek, and you are listening to the Before the Millions Podcast. I am MC Lobsher, the Cashflow Ninja, and you're listening to Before the Millions Podcast. You're listening to the Before the Millions Podcast. But whether you're looking to invest or cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent you've come to the right place mr hollywood himself presents the before the millions podcast and now your host deray olalaye hey what's up what's going on guys welcome to another episode another installment of the before the millions podcast you guys are so amazing i just want to start off this episode by saying that You guys, every single one of you listening to this podcast, you are amazing and you should internalize that. And you may be thinking, well, how can I say that? I don't know you, or maybe I do know you. For those of you that I've never spoke to before, how can I say that you're amazing? Well, I truly believe that every single one of us, every single one of us is an amazing person, has amazing talents, and has the ability to do whatever it is he or she can conceive. That's why you're amazing. Secondly, you're amazing because you listen to this podcast, the number one podcast dedicated to lifestyle design before the millions. Never, although it's a nice goal to have, and it's nice for us to reach that goal, but never do you have to become a millionaire to be able to live the lifestyle of your dreams. You don't even have to be a six-figure earner. The way things are going these days, we can create income online. And for that one reason, for that one thing alone, that allows all of us to find or do something we're passionate about, get paid for it, travel and live anywhere in the world at any time. That's powerful. I'm not sure if our parents or our grandparents could have done that, but in today's day and age, we all can do that. By the time this episode comes out, I should have safely arrived in Dubai. One nice, hearty 15-hour flight. You know, some people hate that. Like when you have to take these super long trips in, you know, 15 hours, like sounds crazy to a lot of people. And luckily this is a straight flight. I've been on flights double that time, almost triple that time, but I actually enjoy being on a plane. I enjoy like the seclusion, me being able to work through something, knock out tasks, relax all at the same time, eat, kick my feet up. There's just something about being immobilized in the air. It just like takes away from the day-to-day constant distractions that we all normally face. Guys, this episode, I'm interviewing Mr. Nathan Hirsch and I interviewed Nathan a few months ago, I'd say maybe back in March or April. And back then I had zero employees and had learned to contract any and every single task that I did not want to do. I had contractors for any and everything in my business that I wanted to pass off. And I only wanted to focus on the things such as talking to you guys, the things that I really like to do. And it worked for a while. It still works to this day, actually. But I eventually realized the need for people in the business 
that their sole dedication when it comes to working is on the company rather than somebody having 16, 17 projects and and yours just kind of gets lost in the mix. I wanted a support staff fully dedicated to the Before the Millions company and where I see the company going. So even though I have vast experience with freelancers, some good, lots of them bad, I know that it's the way I got started. And it's probably one of the best ways to get started. So on today's show, Nathan, who sold at least $25 million worth of products online, 25 million guys, he's mastered the art of finding and hiring good freelancers, showing us when and how and who to hire. So this episode is going to be fascinating because we're going to talk about exactly how to bring on your first freelancers, a little bit about how to bring on your first employee as well. You know, I'm getting ready to hire my third, hopefully, in the next month, and then maybe my fourth by the end of the year. And I must say, things change a whole lot when somebody's sole income is based on your production, when somebody and their family's well-being is based on you and your business. And I don't look at it as a negative. I actually look at it as a positive. It motivates me every day to be the best that I can be. So are you ready to start building your real estate business, building your real estate empire, maybe your thought leadership platform, maybe investors who are looking to start automating and scaling? One of the best things that you could start doing is hiring freelancers to start finding these sellers for you, to start finding these properties for you, to start scrubbing some of these lists. Instead of buying lists that are sold to who knows how many people, train somebody to do that work for you. That way you kind of control the results. And that way you don't have to do it yourself. We become entrepreneurs because we want to work less, not work more. Although initially it may take a lot of upfront work. The goal is to eventually, and rather quickly, by the way, automate and scale your processes. That's given the assumption that you've created processes, of course, which is one of the first things I did. Create a system around everything, even if you think you don't need one. That way, if you hire a freelancer and they don't work out, you bring in somebody new And they follow that same exact system rather than you have to train somebody more of your time to get acclimated with everything you just trained the last person to do. So guys, we're going to get into this a lot more on the episode. So really, really good, great, fascinating episode. Really, really good, great, fascinating. That's interesting. So let's get to it. But first, let's get to the tip of the week. DeRay's tip of the week. So here's an important reason Going along with the theme of this episode, automating and scaling with freelancers and employees, here's an important reason why we should start automating. I mean, quite frankly. So currently, I'm going to be out of the country for an extended period. And right before the trip, I get a notification from one of my tenants that they are moving out. They're ending their lease and they're going somewhere else, which is totally fine. It's cool. Except for the fact that this is the only property that I own and manage myself. So if I had a property manager on this, it'd be no problem. I probably almost wouldn't even know that they were leaving. So now I have to prepare their move out phase. I have to get a few documents prepared for them to sign. I have to get them their checklist and I have to perform an inspection on the property once they move out. And to top it off, in the middle of all this, I have to start marketing the property and start finding new tenants. Doing all of that overseas, I mean, I'm not even going to be able to do visits, but doing all that overseas, especially with long distance calling and things like that, it's going to take some tricks to figure out. But nonetheless, it's going to get done, right? Because it has to get done. Now, scenario B, which is also another real scenario in my life right now, is I have a property that is currently an Airbnb unit. And the other day, my property manager calls me and he tells me that we have been completely cleaned out. 
meaning they stole my furniture, my TV, etc. It's one of those things to where life happens, right? <laughs> what can you do, right? You think you look at your options and what you can do is what you do do. And luckily, because I have a property manager in place, he handles it accordingly. He's already filed a claim with the booking agency and he's keeping me updated on the progress. So we should hopefully get everything back. Now, I've dedicated zero amount of work, time, or stress to this problem because somebody's handling it for me. If I was managing that property myself and I was about to go on a trip, I would have to cancel that trip and most likely fly to the city and file the police report myself, show receipts of everything that's missing, so on and so forth. Automation and scale, guys. In any and everything that you do, automation and scale. I would add a caveat to that. Only after you fully learned that process. You know, one thing I want to hire for the Before the Millions company is a Facebook ads manager. I mean, I'm pretty good at Facebook ads, but I know that it's not my area of expertise. I know that I'm not an expert at Facebook ads. And I know that my value per hour is worth a lot more than me sitting around messing with Facebook ads, as vital as they are to my business. Because look at it this way. My value per hour is $3,000 and I'm doing Facebook ads and I can pay somebody who's not only better than me, this is what they do for a living at Facebook ads, and I can pay them $1,000, I should be paying them 10 times out of 10 every single time because I can go on and do $3,000 per hour tasks and have them do those $1,000 per hour tasks and be better at it. So guys, when you're building your business, start thinking about how you're going to start automating and scaling, or maybe it's time for you to start doing that. They always say that you're supposed to hire your first employee before you need them. Because if you wait till you need your first employee to hire that person, it may be too late. You may be overwhelmed. Your business may be on a decline. You may not have enough time to train somebody to get them up to speed. I mean, there's just so much that goes on. So we're looking at a preventative measure. Anyways, guys, let's get to the show. And now your feature presentation. Excited to introduce a serial entrepreneur and expert on remote teams, Mr. Nathan Hirsch. Nathan, how's it going today? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing excellent. I'm excited to have you on the show. I'm excited to dive into your story, but even more so, I'm excited to learn about your business and how we are going to be able to free up our time to do the things that we truly love. So Nathan is, again, a serial entrepreneur, an expert in remote hiring, and an e-commerce guru. Nathan has been selling online since 2010 and has sold well over $25 million worth of products. Now, Nathan, it's funny because literally the episode I put out today was to announce that I would be expanding my team. I would be hiring a few new people on board. And it's the first time I've ever done this. So it's super, super scary. And I know that that can be scary for a lot of solo entrepreneurs. And we're going to dive into exactly how we, uh, how we find uh, pre-vetted freelancers and why it's important to start hiring out for certain tasks. But before we do all of that, Nathan, let's get into your story. Let's take it back. Let's, let's get into the time machine. Let's, let's get to know, like, and trust, Nathan. Let's, let's talk about college, Nathan. Let's talk about what you were doing in your 20s and who you were back then and, and kind of work our way up. What was your mindset like? Uh, what were you doing? And how did you be begin to uh, formulate your entrepreneurial path? Yeah, so I grew up and my parents were both teachers. So I always had that mentality that I would get good grades in high school, get a scholarship, get into college, get good grades in college, maybe have an internship, get a real job, work for 30, 40 years, retire with a family, and that was going to be my life. And I really got a taste of that early on because I lived in an okay neighborhood. I wasn't poor by any means. My parents were both teachers, so we weren't well off. We were right in the middle. And then I went to school in the town over because my dad was a teacher in the town, so I was allowed to do that. And all these kids' parents were doctors, lawyers, dentists, um, big real estate moguls, you name it. 
And so I went to school with kids that always had way more than me. So money was always something I wanted as a kid because as a kid, you always want what you don't have. And during summer vacations, when they were out there playing and having fun, I always worked a 40, 50 hour a week job. And I worked at a rent-a-center type place called Aaron's. Um, I worked at the Firestone Corporation, did an internship there that actually carried over into college. But during these summers, when I was working 40 hours a week, I hated it more than anything. I was looking at the clock and I learned so much and I was good at my job, but working for other people just didn't motivate me. So I learned at a very young age that, hey, if I wanted to be happy, I had to work for myself. And if I didn't come up with something, this was going to be my life, working 40, 50 hours a week. So I kind of got a glimpse into the future of what happened, what I did before college, and then what was going to happen after college if I didn't figure out an alternative path. You're going to touch on exactly what I was going to allude on. Did you figure out that path? <laughs> I did. And it was very early on in college. I majored in business, and it was very generic. You didn't have to pick your major right away. And I remember they had just introduced an entrepreneurial program. And the leader of the program got up in front of all the students and she said, if you ever want financial freedom, if you ever want life freedom, the only way to do it is to be an entrepreneur. And that really stuck with me. So in the back of my head, I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. She, they had just started this program. I was like, I'm all in. So I majored in entrepreneurship. And what I started doing was buying and selling people's textbooks just to make a little extra money on the side. I noticed the school bookstore was ripping me off. And so I built relationships with different online distributors to sell these books. I would give students the cash up front, the cash that I had made working all these 40-hour jobs, hold on to the books for a little bit, sell them at the beginning of the next semester when the prices went back up. So I did this for a little while, and before I knew it, I lined out the door of people trying to sell me their books to the point where I actually got a cease and desist letter from the school telling me to knock it off because I was taking up too much of their business. So from there, I mean, you don't sell books for very long without learning about Amazon, and I became addicted to Amazon. This was back in 2009, so Amazon was more of a bookstore. No one really knew what they were going to become. No one knew what being an Amazon seller was, and I got in at a great time. I started drop shipping products that I could find, baby products, home products, toys, from all these different websites, and I built up this large drop shipping business, and I was running this multi-million dollar Amazon drop shipping business out of my college dorm room. Things were moving fast, and I had so much work to do from customer service to filling orders to listing products, I had to start hiring people. And that's really when I got thrown into the world of hiring because before that, I thought I was gonna be that sole entrepreneur that did everything, that pockets all the money himself. But I learned that hiring is hard. As, as you know, it's very hard to, to find the right people, find the right motivation um, or the people with the right motivation that actually care about your business. And, and from hiring, that's when I really learned about the remote hiring world and outsourcing and hiring people that could freelance and, and do different parts of my business but I always wanted a faster way to do it. And that's really when I came up with the, the idea for FreeUp to get fast access to freelancers instead of having to post a job and interview 100 people for, for one position. So I'll kind of pause there and let you jump in. But that's kind of the main story of how I went from a broke college kid to starting two companies. That's amazing, Nathan. And it sounds like, you know, you had this professor that kind of just contradicted everything about the environment that you were in. I mean, you were at, at college, you were witnessing people majoring in all types of things and going into all types of career fields and having all types of these endeavors. And your professor said, well, the only way to be successful, to be truly successful in life is to be an entrepreneur. I mean, what kind of shift, what kind of impact did that immediately have? And did everybody else take to that the same way you took to that? Because I think that's a powerful statement. It's so funny because you hear that statement in your mind, you just think, how could anyone do anything different? But then you look around and the people that major in entrepreneurship, there's only 20 to 40 people. 
So everyone else is still going into the accounting, the economics, the marketing, just going through the path because it, while in my mind, I see opportunity in their mind, they see risk and hard work that they don't necessarily want to put in. So it's funny how everyone's mind hears that differently. Yeah, for sure. And you talk about your early beginnings and how you started, how you started selling textbooks and then you found Amazon and then you found dropshipping and, you know, it just kind of catapulted from there. And, you know, earlier on in this podcast, before we got really, really niched down on cash flow and real estate, and we were focused on cash flow and lifestyle. And before we, we used real estate as that vehicle, we were exploring all types of vehicles. Dropshippers were numerous on this podcast. I'm a dropshipper myself. I get major sales every day to this day and it's super passive and I love to tell people that's a great way to start a business. So let's maybe talk about the difference between hiring, you know, a remote worker, or, or before we even talk about that, because I think that that's going to be in the, in the meat potatoes of today's show. Let's talk about, you know, you started these businesses online and you realized that possibly you realized that in order to grow your businesses, in order to, to actually focus on the revenue generating portion of your business, you needed to delegate out tasks. What brought you to that realization? So I had a meeting with an accountant. It was my first accountant. I was finally making money, time to pay taxes. And he met with me and he was looking over the numbers and we were doing pretty well. And he goes, when are you going to hire your first person? And I said, why would I do that? I'm putting all the money in my pocket. I love what I'm doing. I love Amazon. I can do this seven days a week. Why would I do that? And he just laughed in my face. He said, hey, you're going you're to figure this out on your own, kid. And so I didn't listen to him. And I tried to do it myself. And the first busy season came around. November, December, everyone's buying holiday products. I was not prepared in any way. And I got crushed. I was working 20 hours a day, trying to balance rushing a fraternity, trying to balance college and everything that goes around with that, having a girlfriend. And my life was miserable. I, I didn't sleep for, for a month and a half. And when I finally made it out the other side and survived somehow, I made it my mission to never let that happen again. So right away, I started hiring and delegating. And I mean, I, I almost got sick of the day-to-day -day operations just for being thrown in it 20 hours a day for six weeks. So that's what put me over the top. And one of the lessons that I try to teach other entrepreneurs is don't wait until that moment because we're all going to get there. If you're a successful business owner, you're growing, you're growing, you're growing. You want to hire people before you get crushed like I did, not after. Yeah, that, I mean, that makes so much sense. And, you know, there's a lot of value to take away from what you just said. And I can I can speak to this because, I again, I have personal experiences that, that attribute to what you're saying. And it's just like when you focus on growing the business, you know, you're working, you're putting in 40, 50, 60, whatever it is that you're doing to grow your business. And you feel as though you are the lifeblood of your business. You are what's going to keep your business moving forward. And when it comes time to hire, if you do, if you try to hire at the time that it's time to hire a person, you're scared because you, I mean, your time is already maxed out. You're already working 60 hours a week just to keep everything going every single day, every single week, just to keep the business afloat, just to keep revenue coming in. There's no extra time to hire somebody, to sit down, to coach somebody through the processes of your business. So it's just like, you kind of have that chicken and egg scenario to where you're like, what do I do? Do I actually carve out time? Where, where am I going to get this time? How am I going to find the resources to be able to do this? Maybe I'm not making enough money to have some somebody, you know, uh, help me out with some of these tasks. So what's your solution to, to maybe uh, the resources and the time that you need to hire your first employee? Yeah. So if you're not making any money, if you haven't really set a foundation, if you haven't really tested your idea, you're probably not ready to hire yet. You need to do some of the work yourself. You need to have that trial and error approach unless you're funded, unless you have some kind of backing and you're willing to take that risk, which I don't necessarily agree with, but I'm sure other people will then hold off a little bit. But if you are getting revenue and you're having a proof of concept and people are interested in your product, your service, and you're growing a little bit, but you just can't focus on the big picture stuff because you're constantly doing these day-to-day -day operations, I want you to remember that I didn't just wake up one day and hire 20 people. I started hiring people slowly. I got a few hours of my day back. You can hire a VA to work from 9 to 10 a.m. every morning 
just to help you get caught up at the beginning of the day so that the rest of your day is more productive. So think of it more in terms of getting small pieces of your hour back, of your day back, but also short-term projects. Hey, can I get this website built? Hey, can I create this banner, create this ad? Hey, I need a good piece of content that I can share on social media. And if you break it down like that, you don't need a huge budget to start hiring. And those small investments, because that's what they are, investments back in your company, will go a long way to help you take that next step in your business. I love that so much. And I think that that's where the majority of business owners lie is that they're trying, they're trying to figure out how, if they even have the resources to hire their first employee. Let's look at the other end of that spectrum. Let's look at business owners similar and have, you know, selfishly, let me ask this question for my business. You know, let's just say your business has taken off overnight and you guys are doing extremely well, but you have no time because of the, the newfound business. What are some suggestions that you have for somebody like that to free up their time and start uh, hiring some of these things out? And a second question, which is, Probably a little bit of a long window question as well, so I may save it. So let's, let's answer that first question first. <laughs> I'm sorry, what was the question in that? What are some of the techniques that you can use to start freeing up some of your time if, in fact, you do have a, a business that literally has taken off overnight and you don't know where you're going to find the time to start hiring? But you know that in order to, because right now, you know, for instance, in my business, I am the bottleneck in my business because I have not started hiring things out. So how do you start cultivating or how do you start setting aside that time to start uh, really focusing? Or I, I may already know the answer to this. I believe that it's, it's mindset. You know, you always have enough time for the, all the things that you truly want to do in your life. And if you can realize that hiring an employee, even though it's a short-term sacrifice, it's a long-term investment, it's a long-term gain, uh, it's just something that you have to do. But I, I kind of want to hear your point of view on that. Yeah, I mean, it starts off with a mentality. You're either creating a job for yourself, right? Where you're doing everything, even though you built it, but you're stuck in the job or you're a delegator, you're a manager, you're a leader. And it really comes down to what path you want to go because there's a difference between a doer and having the job and there's a difference between a manager who's just managing other people and there's a difference between a leader who's actually pulling a company forward and having everyone follow behind them. And it takes baby steps to get there and, and most people don't jump right to the leadership um, without learning a lot of lessons along the way. In terms of actionable steps that you can actually do today, Come up with a list. Come up with a list of everything you do on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis. Be as specific as possible. Get your business partner involved. Get your wife involved. Be brutally honest with yourself. What are all these things that you're doing? Bookkeeping, emails, customer service, listing products, listing real estate listings, going on Craigslist, whatever it is that you're doing, add it to that list. And then put it in order from easiest to hardest. And circle the top three easiest things. And that's your starting point. That's what you want to get off your plate. And if you want to go bigger picture and you want to challenge yourself a little bit, come up with a second list, a list of everything that you're not good at. For me, I would put writing, I would put graphic design, I would put web development. And then what projects does your business need to get to the next level that's on that list that you can't do? Because those become your immediate projects. Those are the projects that sometime in the next three months, sometimes in the next six months, you have to hire a freelancer, a contractor to take that off your plate and to just do it for you. So that's where you start, those easiest tasks and those projects. Let's kind of get back into your story a little bit more. Let's talk about the inception of Freeup and what the game plan was back then and you know, kind of your idea and your vision for the company. And is that what it kind of turned into or did things kind of happen along the way in which you switched up uh, what the original game plan was, ended up being a lot more successful than what your original plan was? Yeah, great question. So the idea of Freeup was I got pretty sick and tired of going on Upwork, going on Fiverr, whatever it was, posting a job for freelancers, getting 100 people to apply, interviewing them one by one, having it take forever. And if it works out great, if it doesn't work out, I started off exactly where I was going through applicants. And I wanted just a faster way to get talent. But I also knew that there were a lot of other freelancer marketplaces and I was going to have to differentiate itself. So the original plan was, hey, I know Amazon. Let's teach Amazon courses to people, teach them how to sell on Amazon. 
And then in addition, we'll provide them VAs so that we make money after the course. So we started selling these courses. We started offering these Amazon VAs, this Rolodex that I built of, of good freelancers. And the courses were okay, but the people love the VA service. They love that instead of having to post that job, they could just shoot me a Skype request, an email, and get access to a freelancer within minutes or hours. So that service started to take off. And all of a sudden, these Amazon sellers that we're providing VAs for start telling people in other communities, other e-commerce communities. So we start getting people for Shopify, people for eBay, people for Walmart asking me for VAs. So we scrap the courses and we start building this VA marketplace just focused on that. And we're, we're vetting freelancers from all around the world, five to $50 an hour, US, non-US, focused on e-commerce. And then all these people in the e-commerce community start telling other communities. So all of a sudden we're getting real estate agents, we're getting digital marketing agencies, we're getting software companies. So by that time we had created a full-fledged marketplace and our differentiator was, hey, we get hundreds of applicants every week. We vet them for not only their skill, but their attitude and communication as well. We take the top 1%, we let them in, and then we make them available to clients first come first serve quickly so you get access to talent fast. Then I took what I learned from Firestone and from my internships about customer service and created an awesome customer service team that is around 24 seven to help quickly solve any issues. And then we added a no turnover guarantee because we know how frustrating it is when people quit. If a freelancer quits for any reason, we cover all replacement costs and get you a new worker right away. So that's that we kind of evolved from Amazon and courses to a marketplace for freelancers. That's amazing, Nate. So as far as you know, forward looking, what do you think? What do you think is on the horizon? What are some of the things that you may be cooking up that you haven't released yet? What are some of the ideas that you have planned for the future for freeup.com? Yeah, so I'm really excited. We just launched the software update. We have a few more small tweaks to it, but uh, we redid our entire UI, our entire UI, our entire payment portal. Whenever you have a marketplace model, there's three parts of it, right? You've got the, the getting more clients, getting more freelancers, and the software that glues it all together. And a lot of times, if you're not a developer like me, the software tends to lag behind all these awesome different services that you're offering, right? So we invested a lot more into software. We heard people's feedback, and we launched a big update, and we have a lot of smaller updates coming from just a new, easier UI that's easy to navigate to payments being safe and secure right in the portal, not using any third parties, to different options. Like we just added a, a service where you get a free up personal assistant, someone who's on my team that you can reach out to at any time whenever you need a freelancer. So if you're someone that doesn't like filling out a worker request and entering questions, you can tell him what you need and he'll fill out the request for you. So we're constantly taking feedback and trying to create the best possible freelance marketplace experiences because like I said, there's so many of them out there and they've been doing it the same way for so long. We really want to shake up this industry and I'm so excited for all the feedback that we're getting and to spend the next six months implementing that feedback and growing the business. So we know where we know where FreeUp has started and we now we know where FreeUp is going. But Nathan, Nathan is not FreeUp and FreeUp is not Nathan. Let's get back into your story a little bit more. What, what, is, what are Nathan's goals? And you've become this successful entrepreneur and I'm sure that you love what you do, but what are some of your personal goals? And how has this business provided you with the ability to kind of uh, live out some of those dreams and goals that you have? Yeah, that's a great question. So I look at my life in a few different ways. I never wanted to get too caught up in one direction. So when I was in high school um, and college, I played sports, but I never wanted to be just an athlete. And same thing with business. I never want to be just an entrepreneur. I never want to, let's say, jeopardize my friends or my family by doing that. So my overall goal is to be as balanced as possible. I want to invest time into relationships, whether it's friends or family or meeting new people. I want to invest time into my body. I, I work out five days a week or close to it, making sure I'm in, in top shape because what's the point of being successful if at some point you get to your life and you don't have the health to go along with it. 
obviously um, the financial side of it, the business side of it, I want to make sure that me and my family is taken care of. But one thing that I've realized is pushing products got old for at some point it just, I wasn't as passionate about it. I felt like I was only helping me. I wasn't necessarily helping other people around it. So one of the things that I'm really committed to doing, and one of the reasons why I love free up is because I get to give back. I get to help other entrepreneurs. I get to help other freelancers from all around the world. And one way that I'm able to do that in my personal life is by traveling. I just got back from the Philippines where I met some incredible people, obviously learned the culture, ate the food. Um, so I'm a big travel guy. I'm a big foodie. I travel all over Europe. My parents are retired now. They travel all the time. So that's something that's in my blood. So kind of a balance of the travel and learning culture and giving back um, with the athletics. I still play baseball and I'm, I'm almost 30 now and stay in shape to go along with keeping up with personal relationships and everything that goes with, along with that. That's amazing, Nathan. And I think that we're relatable on a lot of the things that you just said in so many ways. But let's flip to the other end of that coin. Take us to your darkest time. Take us to your worst entrepreneurial moment to date. Uh, take us to that day. What happened? How was it? And how were you able to come, come out on the, on the other end of that? Sure. So year one, 1 1.5 of my Amazon business, I had this one supplier that I was crushing it with. And I didn't want to get any other suppliers because I would have been a lot of work. And I just wanted to stick with them. And I was doing pretty well. And I had gone through some bad hires, but I had finally found this manager of the day, I called him. And I taught him how to do everything. I trained him for six months. I, he learned how to do orders and customer service, everything, every part of my business. And it was now time for me to take my first vacation. And I'd worked on this business nonstop along with college for over a year. I was making more money than any 21-year-old should. And so this was my break. And I planned a trip to Myrtle Beach with my friends. And on the first day on the beach, I get three phone calls. The first one from the supplier telling me that he no longer wanted to work with me. So all that work that we had put in was down the drain. We were going to have to find new suppliers. Then I get a call from my manager of the day telling me that he no longer wanted to work with me and he wanted to focus on school, lesson about hiring college students. And then just to top it off, I get a call from my accountant saying that someone had stolen my identity and filed a $40,000 tax return in my name. So I went from this pretty big high to this unbelievable low of, hey, I just lost everything I just worked for. I have no manager. I now have to deal with this identity mess. And that was the lowest that I've ever been as an entrepreneur. And to top it off, I'm almost looking at the clock saying, hey, I've got two and a half years left in college. After that, I have to go out and get a real job if I don't turn this around. Wow. That's incredible, Nathan. That's the story. So what is your biggest takeaway from that experience? Yeah. So when I got back, I, I pretty much put it all on the line. I had X amount of money in my bank account. I had a few part-time people. And I said, all right, what did we learn from this situation? And we learned not to put our, all, all our eggs in one basket. We need to diversify. Even in year one of running a business, I need to have additional revenue streams, different, different suppliers, additional products to sell. So we started contacting lots of different suppliers and building relationships. And within six months, we were not only selling more products, but we were way more diverse, way more protected. And that wouldn't be the last supplier that, that dropped me. Then on the hiring side, we learned the same thing. Why did we just invest six months into training one person to do everything? Then we're not protected at all. Let's hire one person per team or multiple people in a team, but only teach them how to do that specific thing, departmentalize. One for customer service, one for listing, one for orders. And if they quit, and it wouldn't be the last person that quit on me, I could easily replace them within a few weeks, hopefully less as we developed our, our training material, rather than taking six months to get someone where we wanted them to be. And the identity stolen thing was a hassle, but I survived that. And I tell other people um, when they're dealing with security that 
it, a lot of times it's not as bad as you think. I mean, I have a, a pin that I have to put in every year on taxes. I didn't lose money. The government did. But yeah, so the big lesson there is all about diversifying. We all diversify our stock portfolio or we're here to. The same thing goes when you're running your business. You want to diversify it as much as you can because you never know what's going to change in the economy inside your business with people's personal lives. You always want to diversify. Amazing, amazing advice. And Nathan, I love your business model. I mean, just being able to have that, you know, have those, those, those redundancies in your business, being able to, you know, once let's say a freelancer does go on a binge and, you know, they leave or whatever happens, life circumstances happen. There's somebody right there to kind of just fill in the gap. And I think that's amazing. That's what you need in, in your business are these redundancies that keep your business moving forward. So that's amazing. Nathan, let's get into a little bit of strategy. Let's talk to the real estate investors who are looking who are looking to start hiring or maybe start delegating out some of these tasks. You know, for the past two years, through my experiences, I definitely advocated for contractors. I've contracted everything out and I'm finally getting to the point to where I'm just like, I'm so tired of contracting things out and teaching new people and talking to new people all the time when I need something new done. I just want somebody in-house that knows everything about my business, that can do a process from A to Z and that can do it repeatedly. So let's maybe talk to the, the difference between a, a freelancer and maybe hiring somebody full-time and what you may, may deem as a pro and a con on both sides. Are you cut out right at the end? What was the last thing you said? And maybe uh, let's talk to what you may deem as a pro and a con for bringing on, uh, bringing on employees to your team or hiring freelancers. Yeah, I mean, I opened up an office around year five or six and I hired full-time people and I honestly thought that it was going to be better. I was going to have all these people in one place. We were going to be able to collaborate and brainstorm and it was going to be better for team building and people would be more productive. And what I actually found is the opposite. I was more productive dealing remote. I'm more productive in the morning when I'm working out of my pajamas rather than having to drive and commute, even if it's a short commute. I realized that there's a lot of downtime when you're in an office, um, people hanging out at the water cooler, not to mention the, dr the drama that goes along with having real people in one small place together for long periods of time. So I'm a big proponent of hiring remote for as much as you possibly can. And yes, there are things in your company that you need employees for. Maybe you have a warehouse, maybe you, you do need a web developer on house for your servers, whatever it is. And, and that makes sense. But I've seen so much get done remotely and, and one of my favorite things is I'll see a Facebook group and someone will post, oh, you shouldn't outsource that or hey, what should I not outsource? And people will post a list and my response is I outsource all of that or I have clients that outsource all of that either with US or, or non-US people. So I'm a big proponent of remote. Within the next two, 10 years, over 50% of our workforce will be remote and if you're a real estate agent out there, there's very little that you can't get done remote besides having people actually show the houses and put on the events, almost everything else, whether it's the marketing, the web development, the customer service, the making phone calls and following up with leads, all of that can get done remote. So we're in a, we're in a time where things are changing fast. And, and if you're not adapting, your competitors will. Yeah, I love that so much. And I, I speak to that all the time. I mean, we're in a we're in a, a world in which, you know, these jobs that don't allow flexibility, that don't allow freedom, just speaking from the employee, uh, employee point of view, I mean, millennials are doing away with that. Millennials are finding ways to make money online. They're finding ways to freelance. They're finding ways to be location independent. And we're going more and more towards that way of life. And like you said, pretty soon, it's going to be the new norm. So if you're not thinking that way, you're going to get left behind. So Nathan, let's maybe talk about that first employee. What, what is your recommendation as far as what positions should that first employee hold? What should you hire for? Should you outsource your marketing? Should you outsource your revenue generating um, tasks? Should you outsource maybe uh, your admin tasks? What should be that first employee typically in a business? I say employee, but maybe change that term to freelancer when, you, when you're hiring you know, somebody to kind of bring on for multiple projects on it. 
Yeah, so whether we're talking about employees, contractors, freelancers, it really depends on what your hiring strategy is. There's no right or wrong way to hire. When you are stuck in your day-to-day operations and you have a big business that's growing and you're stuck inside, you should be hiring lower level people, people that can take stuff off your plate, that you can just assign tasks, that can follow your systems, your processes. If you're at a point in your business where projects are piling up and you're not skilled enough to do those projects, then you should be focused on mid-level people, specialists. You can come in and just crank out these projects. But if you're maybe a little lost, you don't know what direction, you don't know what the next step is, you need to hire expert-level people who can consult you, who can give advice, who can execute things at a high level and help create those systems and processes. So it really just depends on where you are at the business. I love that. And you touched on a point that I definitely want to get your feedback on. Some people are of the mindset that you should be able to, at least at a competent level, perform every single task in your business before you hire it out. And you mentioned not having the expertise in certain arenas and hiring those those out. Is there a process that you should go through before hiring that out? Or because you don't know what you don't know, and you don't know nothing about that specific uh, sector of your business, maybe it's uh, Facebook ads, should you just go ahead and hire that out from the get-go and kind of figure out a way to monitor results? How should you go about that process? Yeah, so if you don't know what you're doing or, or you don't know a specific thing, you've got to hire an expert. I mean, you could spend the next six months learning how to run Facebook ads. And listen, you're a pretty smart, you're a smart guy. I'm a pretty smart guy. We could probably figure it out. I'm pretty confident but it's not a good use of our time, right? It's a much better use of our time to hire an expert to come in and do it right from the beginning. So you, as a business owner, you have to know that mentality and you have to be able to hire people smarter than you because that's half the job of a manager and a leader. Yeah, that makes sense. So I guess the follow-up question that a lot of listeners may be asking, well, how do you know if they're doing a good job? How do you benchmark that if you don't actually know the knowledge behind what it takes to, to see a, you know, let's keep using that example, see a, a great performing uh, Facebook ad? The question is, how do you know that or how you hire for it if you don't know it? No, the question is, how do you benchmark that? How do you know, like you've chosen and you've selected your freelancer, how do you know if they're doing a good job? I mean, how do you know that they're doing the things that, that they need to be doing in that arena? Because, I mean, you don't have any experience with that, that arena. They could be performing fine and 99% of the other Facebook ad experts out there could be knocking it out the park and you would, you would have no idea. So what are some of the suggestions that you have? How do you know that you are, in fact, hiring the best person or the ideal person for that position? Yeah, I mean, you get a lot of second opinions. You interview multiple people. You give them tests or trial periods where you give them a few weeks. You also set the expectations up front on what the goals are. What are you trying to accomplish, whether it's weekly goals, monthly goals? And you constantly meet with people. You constantly take a step back and, and figure out, um, hey, did we hit this? If not, why? And you're also always looking to improve. The first, ex- the first Facebook ad expert you hire might not be the same person that you use in five years. So knowing in your back pocket that, hey, maybe you have a budget for a $30 an hour person now, but later you might want to upgrade to a $75 an hour person, that should always be in the back of your mind whether you do it or not. So you always have to find ways to improve. You also always should be challenging people that you work with and you should always be trying to hit goals that you guys set together, making sure that the expectations are black and white up front. Yeah, perfect answer, Nathan. So I guess you kind of alluded to my next question. In terms of pricing, how do you figure that part out? I mean, that's a whole new spectrum that we, I don't think we've been able to cover on the show yet. So as far as pricing goes, how do you know how to benchmark pricing? Uh, different people are offering different rates. How do you know, is the per, how do you know how to, where that perfect offer lies? Yeah, so pricing is determined from the market. I mean, I try to divide it into the three levels. So you got lower level, mid, and, and expert level. The low level people are, are process followers. They're in that five to 10 bucks an hour range, non-US. Mid-level people are specialists in that 10 to 30 range, US or non-US, they're doers. And then you got the experts, that 20 to 75 could even be higher depending on what you're hiring for. So I know my ballpark ranges. And then from there, I mean, I'm looking for asking price and there's a lot of different factors. When when I was hiring employees, I was not only competing for that employee, but I was competing for with all the businesses around me in that town for in-person staff. With remote workers, 
it's a lot bigger industry of workers, a lot bigger, bigger network. So the market values tend to set themselves. I try to not lowball people only because I've learned that let's say someone wants 20 bucks an hour and you offer them 15, they might accept it because they, they want that quick job. But the second that they, someone else offers them 20 or more, they're out the door. So I don't lowball people, but I also know in my mind what the market is. And then I also look at other factors. How urgent is this hire? Can I spend more time looking for someone else? Maybe it's in my best interest to pay 23 if the market value is 20 because if I wait another week, that'll really hurt my company. Or it could be vice versa. I could have three people that I really like that are all very similar and I just want to take the lowest price. So a lot of it, it depends on how urgent it is, how necessary it is, what kind of investment you're going to make in that person, but then also what, what they're looking for and, and why and what that demand is. Amazing. So, and you're alluding to my next question so perfectly every single time. You mentioned that you may have three candidates that you're looking at. As far as personality matches goes, uh, as far as a personality match, how, um, what's your method of figuring out the best employee, the best freelancer to bring onto your team if you have three candidates that you really, really like and you're looking for a personality match? Yeah, so we focus not only on skill, but attitude and communication as well. So I can only speak for the freelancer side, not the employee side, because that's what the, the free up marketplace is. But with attitude, we're looking for people that are passionate, people who care about what they do. They're, they're not just in it for the paycheck. They actually are invested in the client's business. If I hate bookkeeping and I hire someone to do my bookkeeping, they have to love bookkeeping as much as I love being an entrepreneur. So that's what I'm looking for in terms of attitude. And obviously have a, a smile on their face and come in every day positive. With communication, I'm looking for people that can communicate the highest possible level. I don't want gray areas. I want black and white. I want to be able to set expectations, to set goals and hit them. I want to be able to not chase someone down. I want to know when people are working and when they're not. Um, I want updates. I, I don't want people that disappear on me. And, and so we have 15 pages of communication best practices that, that freelancers have to memorize and get tested on before they get into the marketplace. So that's really what I'm looking for outside of the skill. And then the rest of it is really what makes sense for your business. Because if you're running a, a cutthroat real estate company, which is fine, there are a lot of people that do that, that's going to be different than my warm and fuzzy mom and pop shop atmosphere. Let's just make an example. So the people that we hire are going to be very different. If I hire a warm and fuzzy person and put them into my cutthroat business, I'm not going to have a good experience and vice versa. So while you focus on that pyramid, the skill, the attitude, and the communication, there's also that last step of hey, every freelancer in the world is not the best fit for every single client in the world. So let's find out who's actually perfect for me. Lifestyle Design Acceleration Hacks. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? Start With Why is a great book just because it relates to me. I When I started Amazon, I didn't really have a why. It was just to, to make money because I never really grew up with money. So that was my why, which is a terrible why. And as I got older and I learned more and I experienced more, I realized I wasn't that passionate about selling products on Amazon. But what I really liked was helping people and working with people and providing people jobs and, and helping people staff e-commerce companies. And so with FreeUp, I have this why. It's to help people all around the world and to build this freelance marketplace. And I feel like so many entrepreneurs struggle because their why is what my why used to be. It was just to make money. And that gets old fast. Money doesn't keep you warm at night. It definitely won't make you happy long term. So I encourage people to read that book if they haven't already and really figure out the why of your business. Love it. What is your favorite lifestyle design app? This can be a business app or tool. Here's a good one. Yet Another Mail Merge is a fantastic one for lead generation. It's cheap. I plug them all the time. I'm not affiliated with them. I've been using them for years. It helped me get hundreds of manufacturers on my Amazon business. It helped me, it helped me get tons of clients with free up and build relationships. We use it to, to contact different groups of people that we think would be interested in our product and service and test different um, sales emails. And it's very quick and efficient. 
That sounds amazing. So I'm definitely going to have to check that one out. What do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? I have freedom. I could be anywhere at any place at any point. And I have no one really yelling at me for rules. I don't really have any restrictions. Although I work a lot, I work in a lot of different ways, whether it's home or at a coffee shop or traveling. And I just have pure flexibility. If I wake up one day and I want to dress up nice, I can. If I want to wear a t-shirt and shorts all day, I can. And, and to me, I would trade that freedom for any amount of money in the world. Love I would it. not trade that freedom. <laughs> Love it. What were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? It's all hard work. I mean, I put in endless amount of time, endless weekends, endless working more past nine to five. When you're in that startup mode, if you want to be successful, if you want to get ahead of your competition, you have to go all out. And I mean, that, that comes from taking feedback to trying and error, testing ideas, to really working harder and more efficient than everyone else and, and really setting that mentality. So there's very few people who wake up one day with a good idea and, and become millionaires. <laughs> you really do have to work hard. And yes, if you become good at delegating and good at hiring, it does become easier. It does become more fun. It does become less of a grind. But that initial time, there is that grind. Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? My business partner, Connor, I, he was one of my first hires. We worked together very well. He's the polar opposite of me in terms of skill sets, but we have the same values. We, we want the same things. We're, we're genuinely good people that care about others and that w want what's best for everyone, not just us, but clients, freelancers, people on our team. And so we're able to use each other very well because I'm better at talking, being on podcasts, being the, the face, problem solving, building systems and processes. He's a way better writer. He's way better at creating content. He's more creative. He's a more long-term thinker. He's better with numbers. He, he's got a lot of things that I think he's better than me at. So we complement each other very well. And I think it's very rare nowadays to have a business partner or to find that business partner on the first try that fits you so well. And I'm so fortunate that I met him at, at such a young age. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Last but not least, Nathan. Why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention on getting to the millions? Honestly, it's all about surrounding yourself with smart people. If you try to do it along your, if you try to do it yourself, you have so many things working against you. But if you put your mind together, put your head together with other smart people, if you hire people smarter than you, if you learn how to delegate, that's what takes you to the next level. So much of the things that have made me money or, or cut costs and eventually made me money uh, came from other people. It was work that other people put in and it's because I surrounded myself with other people and also created an environment for them to have success. So if that's one thing you take away from this, you gotta hire and surround yourself with good people. Well, Nathan, like I said, you have been a wealth of information and I thank you so much for sharing your experiences, your values, your beliefs with our audience. And I'm sure that they've gotten tons of value out of this conversation because I know I have. If anybody wants to reach out to you, learn a little bit more about your business or just kind of want to ask a question or two, how can the listeners get a hold of you? Yeah, so if you go to freeup.com with three E's, my calendar is right at the top. You can book a free meeting with me. Love to talk to you about your business, about your hiring, how I can help. Um, below that, you can sign up for a free client account, free to sign up, no monthly fee, no minimums, no obligation. You can end the agreement at any time. It's in our best interest to get you freelancers that actually help you. And if you're looking for more hiring tips and hacks and what I use for my business, check out the FreeUp blog. We post lots of great stuff there and the FreeUp YouTube channel. Sounds great, Nathan. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. And I'm sure many, many of the listeners have gotten away tons of value. And they're going to, I'm on FreeUp right now looking, <laughs> actually looking for VA. So this is going to be amazing, Nathan. And again, I thank you for sharing your experiences and we'll talk to you soon. Talk soon. Thanks for tuning in to today's show. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in seeing if you're a good fit to work with the Before the Millions team, here's what I want you to do next. Head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash call 
That's beforethemillions.com slash call and book an appointment to speak with our team. We'll get on the phone with you for about 45 minutes and we'll get you crystal clear on three things. Number one, what is your cash flow goal? How much are you looking to make every month? Number two, your personalized investing strategy. And number three, the best way to get started using cash flowing rental real estate. Remember, starting and scaling your real estate investments and business doesn't happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make it happen. We've helped clients all over the world start and scale their investing efforts to six figures and beyond while enjoying life and making the world a better place. To find out if we can help you do the same, head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash call. I'm Dorel Lallier, and let's talk soon. 